dive in. Um, Heavenly Father, uh, I, uh, you know my heart is excited uh, to talk about Jesus. My heart is excited to talk about Advent and Christmas, and that I am I'm just uh, I'm just blessed by by the time I got to study Your Word. And I pray that You would just distill out what You want these folks to hear, that You would uh, not let me get in the way, and not let my thoughts or my excitement or my ideas um, don't let them supplant what the Scriptures have for us. Um, I pray that you would be with the folks who are here that, um, um, like our first candle, that this, uh, this season would be the beginning of a new fire in their hearts and in their lives. Um, let it be a time when, when we come to know you more intimately and, and where um, the lights and the, and the tinsel and everything else isn't something that we just adorn our lives with, but it's something that shines out of our hearts and out of, our, out of the overflow of the grace that you've given us. In Christ's name, amen. I want to point out it is five to noon right now. So, uh, if I can manage a fifteen-minute sermon, we'll see how it goes. But I ain't probably going to do that. Um, so this morning, I was in here very early doing some setup and doing some last-minute uh, work, and uh, I was here for probably I don't know two hours, two and a half hours. And during that time, I, I was listening to different albums, different music. You know, like when you work, you put on your headphones and you listen to music. And um, because it's Christmas, well, I listened to that Rich Mullins album through a couple times. And because it's Christmas, every Christmas and actually throughout the year, I will often put on uh, Handel's Messiah, right? Y'all know that one? It's, uh, do y'all know the whole thing or do you know the one part? Because the whole thing's like two hours long. Did you know that? Um, the one part is about five minutes. And um, I, was, I was here, I had made coffee, I was like having a cup of coffee and then running and doing stuff and then grabbing another cup of coffee so I could drink coffee while I set up wires and, and cameras and everything else. And, and the whole time I'm listening to Handel's Messiah, which is cool because it's in English. Did you know that? It was like this, Handel was this guy who figured out like, oh wow, uh, if I write music in English for English audiences, they'll pay more money to come see it. And so Handel wrote a whole bunch of these like, like things that are all in English. And it's what's called an oratorio, which is in English, but it's all Bible. And it's literally all scripture, which is cool because it is a way, like every time I read, um, the God who you seek will suddenly come into the temple uh, in the form of the messenger of the covenant. I know that text. And whenever I read it anywhere, I hear that guy singing it, right? Because I, I know it backward and forward. And so this morning, I'm doing my thing. I'm working. I'm, I'm listening to, to the Messiah. And I realized about halfway through my morning that I was singing along. There's no one here. I am not operatic. In fact, I am not even like a competent singer, right? Like I'm ten different kinds of awful. But... I really enjoy this, this album. I enjoy singing along with it. I enjoy sort of belting it out. Um, and I enjoy it at a certain level. Because um, I, years ago, I took a class, like an online class on music, like appreciating great music. And, and I learned all this stuff about these, the history of music and what to listen to and which parts of musical. It was really cool. And so I appreciate it at a whole level. If TJ and I were to sit in a room together and listen to Handel's Messiah straight through, TJ, like, literally has a degree in music. 
And he can play instruments, like eight of them or nine or something, right? Um, what? This is including all the silly ones, right? Okay. <laughs> but TJ, like, knows music. And so if we both listen to it, are we both going to enjoy it? Of course. Who's going to enjoy it more? In theory, TJ will, because TJ knows. TJ understands. TJ um, loves music in a way that I, I can't because, because I, I, I can't reach that level. Like, I don't have that palate or that depth, right? Like, like, TJ has the understanding that is so much more than mine. If we sit down with my daughter and we listen to it, my daughter's going to wander off about, a, you know, five minutes in, and I'll drag her back to the Hallelujah Chorus, and she'll really like that, and then she's going to wander off again promptly, right? Because the only thing she's going to like is the Hallelujah Chorus. She's not interested. She doesn't know anything about it. It's all nine yards. Because as you work with something and learn about it and connect with it and understand its history and make it a part of your heart and soul, as you spend days, like for me, part of the reason I love it is because I have spent years now singing it by myself and like singing the scripture in a way that I would never have thought of to do before. And it's become a part of how like I hear God's voice, which is crazy, isn't it? As we talk about Advent, um, we're going to be diving in on our first week here. This is week one. And we're going to be looking at like, like how Advent in the beginning was about the fact that the deliverer was coming. We're only going to look at Old Testament. All our texts are in the New Testament. How crazy is that? Um, because in the Old Testament, God prepared the world for the arrival of Jesus. And actually, that is what Advent is. Advent means, like, I can't say the Latin word, I'm not even going to pretend. It means arrival, basically, or like it's about the arrival of Jesus. Um, but Advent in church history is like Lent light. Originally, it was six weeks long. Originally, there was fasting. Originally, there was a whole bunch of stuff you did. And it was just like Lent going up to Easter, but like not so severe. And the idea was you were supposed to spend the weeks preceding Christmas preparing yourself to properly celebrate Christmas. To properly appreciate the coming of the Lord to save you. And so you would repent, you would pray, you would search the scriptures, you would dig, you would, you would sing along with the song like that has been sung for centuries, for millennia, and you would prepare yourself for that. And it's a little like, you know, it, 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 preparing makes the whole thing better. And, and that's the idea behind it. And so we're going to be looking at preparing and training, but we're also going to look at how God prepared the world. All of the devotions I, I did, which is part of the reason I'm so excited and i got so much I want to say, is like all of these devotions are about that preparation that God undertook to make the world ready for the coming of Jesus and how we respond to that. Everybody with me? Everybody's still awake? Anybody thinking, man, there's no way I'm going to get a good table today because we're going to be like super late and I'm already hungry and it's 100 degrees in here? No one? Okay. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about preparation and training in the scripture. I know my words are small. I, did I fix it? No, I did not. Thank you. Um, preparation and training are not the same thing. Got that? They're not. Um, but they are, uh, like, they apply to our discussion today kind of in a similar way. And I'm going to sort of work that out as we go. But understand, this is about 
God preparing the world and us and how we use this season to train to celebrate Christmas properly. Got it? Okay. Um, So we're going to start off by just talking about how God prepared the world for Christmas. Um, Christmas is essentially the D-Day of God's plan for our salvation, right? You all know D-Day? My grandfather was at D-Day on my father's side. My on the other side, too, probably, but that's a different conversation. Um, the, uh, but my grandfather was at D-Day. He was, he was at Normandy. He, he went up the water and onto the beach, the whole nine yards. And um, if you, like, we see the pictures and we see this stuff, and it's really impressive, but it was the single largest amphibious military operation, and there were, like, layers upon layers upon layers, and they had fake stuff set up to fool people who might be spies, and they had, I mean, like, all of these things happened, and nobody knew when they were even going to do it until, like, the day of, but it was, it was intricate, and there were all of these different threads that came together and formed that, and it is the day that God arrives in our world, a world that is hostile to him, a world where, um, like, that he created to glorify himself and to have a relationship with him and like but that was in rebellion and Christ came to save us to deliver us from sin and death like to break the power of Satan over our lives it's actually a good D-Day analogy right um, we're going to jump to second Peter um, sec- uh, Peter here is actually talking about the second coming so I'm going to just go ahead and own that this is not exactly uh, about our topic but I do want to draw this out, and here's why. Because we're going to talk about God's preparing the world, and like D-Day, like a lot of things, there's preparation that go into it, that goes into it. And, and this is an example of that, or like an explanation of that. So in Second Peter uh, 3.9, so Peter writes, I'm actually going to go a little before, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Merry Christmas. Um, Obviously, it's not a very Christmassy verse, but there are a couple of things that I want to draw out of this. First off, um, the story of Christmas begins in Eden, right? Like on page two of the Bible. Um, the, from the fall, the story of Jesus being born and living and going to the cross, it begins in the very start of the scriptures. And God is not slow in his arrival, even though it took him millennia. It's not slow. It is his plan. He is doing things properly and the way that it is meant to be done. I made cookies, chocolate chip cookies a few years ago, and I, I uh, was supposed to use softened butter. And I could not, like, I didn't want to wait for the butter to reach room temperature. So I put it in the microwave. And I melted that butter thoroughly. Then I added it to my cookies. And my cookies were a little like bricks. I didn't eat them. I brought them to Good News Club. And they didn't eat them. And the youth group didn't eat them. And eventually I just had to throw them away. Why? Because I did not wait patiently for it to happen the way it was supposed to. I jumped the gun and did it my way. Uh, And my way is almost always wrong. 
um, as we look at this text, as we look at what God is doing, um, and we're going to talk a little more about this uh, toward the end of the slide, actually, but um, understand God's plan, God's plan is enormous. Like, God's plan begins with Adam and Eve, with Eve specifically, when he announces the curse to Eve. And actually, I, I really would love to do this all day, because there, there are threads that run throughout the scripture from Eve all the way to Jesus that are, like, intricate and work their way into the prophets and, and like, show up in different places. They're in the devotions if you read them. Like, like there are all of these fine details that are there, that are, that are at the bottom level that you can't see um, easily. You have to dig and you have to look. And that is the amazing thing about it. God's plan wasn't slow. It was intricate and it was careful. I remember when I was a kid, I went and saw, um, uh, I went and saw Beethoven's ninth, I think, performed on a military base by our house. And I, I about fell asleep in the middle of it. Um, I have listened to that symphony 800 times now, conservatively. I use one of my favorite pieces of music, and it's cool because as you listen to it, if you pay attention, you can hear the little strings of music change and evolve and like start to weave together with other bits and pieces of music until you get to the Ode to Joy, which is crazy, right? And amazing and beautiful. And like it is a build. And if it happened faster, it wouldn't be good. What's amazing is the slow progression and the weaving. Like it's intricate and gorgeous. And the same is true of salvation. The same is true of God's plan. Because not only is God's plan to save everyone, not only is God's plan thorough, but it, like, it set the stage for everything. So we're going to jump to the next slide here. Sorry, I'm getting bogged down. We're going to Galatians chapter 4. Um, and it is a leapfrog off of this. I got people walking out. Oh, no. Um, this was originally the only text I was going to preach on. And I decided I had to expand a little bit. Um, Galatians 4, 4 to 5. I got to stop looking at that clock. Uh, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father, means Daddy, Father. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. So what's he saying here? The first line is actually the most important for our purposes. But when the time had fully come. Why do I cite that? Because God prepared everything. Um, every aspect of the scripture has something called the scarlet thread. Um, the scarlet thread, if you think of like a white shirt like I'm wearing or like Dwayne is wearing, if I were to run it through a sewing machine and put one long red string through it, you'd see it from a mile away, right? When you read the scriptures, you'll find Jesus all over the place. And the more you find him, the more you'll find him. And then when you jump to different pieces, you'll find him there. Because all of the scriptures are about Christ. And the fullness of time involves everything, not just the scriptures, because like the, the promises God made to his children, right? Like the promises God made um, to Abraham and to David and to Adam and to all these other people, they're all about Christ. The, the prophets, they're all talking about Christ. Many of the most prominent and like discussed issues in the scriptures 
like like the sacrifice of Isaac or the Exodus or whatever. They're all about Jesus. And God prepared everything step by step to tell us the story of Jesus with a big blinking neon sign that says Jesus is here. And it's all building up to him showing up. It's all building up to the day he stepped into our world. Um, there are other things in the secular world, and a lot of scholars will point this out. It's a very discussed topic. Jesus shows up during what's called the Pax Romana, um, the Roman peace, which is sort of not very peaceful, actually, if you dig into it, but whatever. Um, the world was peaceful enough that you could go places and jump between countries and visit anywhere you, where you wanted. People actually vacationed in different parts of the world, right? Like, it's a very rare thing, like, for history up until that point. Um, and that peace made it possible for the gospel to spread. Um, it made it possible for people to go from nation to nation safely. Um, there was a thing called Hellenization, which gave like a certain way of thinking and actually a common language. Everybody spoke Greek. And so you didn't have to learn another language to go do missions. You just had to go and speak Greek because everybody spoke it. It's one of the only times in history where the whole world spoke the same language. Since, golly, well, well Babel, that's the one, right? God lined that up, made it perfect. There were roads. Anybody who lives in Montana understands the difficulty of not having good roads. Right? People were able to travel from city to city easily and safely because God lined up history to the day Christ arrived. He made it perfect at exactly the right moment when the gospel would spread. Not only that, the Jewish people had spread all over the world, and there were Jewish people in every city like, like everywhere. And so when Paul went out and started his missionary journeys, there were these people called God-fearers. God-fearers had learned the Jewish faith, but not completely converted. They hadn't been circumcised. They hadn't been baptized. They hadn't done that stuff. And so those God-fearers, when they heard the gospel, they were far more receptive than the Jewish people. And so that was another thing. There was like, so when you build a fire, right? Like I, this candle, if, if there ain't no wax, the candle don't burn, Right? If there's no wick, the candle don't burn. You need fuel, right? Um, you can preach the gospel to people all day, all day long. If there's no, like, if they're not ready, if there's no fuel in their heart, the light of the Spirit is just going to hit rocks, right? Like, you can't set rocks on fire generally. I mean, I imagine you can. I'm sure the Durgas know how. Um, um, but it was timed perfectly. Why? Because God lined up all of history for the coming of Christ. Um, the song we listened to, My Deliverer is Coming, the reason I love that one and the reason I wanted to come back to it over and over again was because as you read the story of the Jewish people, um, the big serious moment for them was the Exodus. They were in slavery in Egypt and they cried out to God over and over again and God heard their voices. He sent his representative and then he fought on their behalf. Moses didn't move the Red Sea. Moses didn't drown Pharaoh's army. God did. And actually, each of those um, plagues, we all know the plagues, right? Not by heart. Um, each of those plagues is associated with, a, with an Egyptian god, right? Like, like, it is intentionally God humiliating the false gods of Egypt because God fights for his people. Um, and then, I mean, there's a ton of other stuff in there. But that moment, and again, like the Jewish people calling out for a deliverer in a time of extreme just humiliating hardship and suffering when the kings had Jewish children killed to prevent, or Jewish boys killed to keep them from growing too quickly, right? 
Like, they're like, oh, man, there are too many of these Jewish people. Let's start killing their boys. Let's start killing them. <laughs> like, let's keep them from growing too fast. But they're like, um, I guess the Pharaoh found that they were a little like lilies of the valley. You couldn't kill them. Um, Larry told me about that. They're pretty flowers that you can't kill. They're weeds, and they're there forever. But I'm not calling Jewish people weeds. I'm sorry. I've got to get back to where we're going. Um, that suffering made the need for a deliverer far more prominent. The fact of the matter is I live in a very comfortable world. All of us do, right? Man, when I run out of coffee, I'm ready to call on God to rescue me. When my car runs out of gas in an inopportune moment, I need rescue. When the Internet is down for more than two minutes, right? I mean, maybe not quite that much, but we're not enslaved. We're not, you know, working from, you know, sun up to sun down, like with shackles on. Um, we're not doing those things unless your kids are farmers, but I'm not getting into that either. Um, suffering brings us to a place where we appreciate, like, the need, where we understand, where we feel in the core of us the need for a deliverer, where the song takes on new meaning. And actually, in the song, it touches on the fact that Christ followed the path of the Jewish people into Egypt. Um, and, and, you know, like, like it draws out the fact that Christ is not only the deliverer of the Jewish people in the Old Testament, but he is our deliverer from slavery to sin and death. Again, whole Bible, all about Jesus. All of it was preparation. All of it was telling the story in advance. All of it was setting the stage for it to happen. Um, and God prepared the world, the covenants, the nations, um, the exodus, the exile, the prophets, all of this stuff, even actually even on the day of the alignment of the planets coincided with his birth to bring foreign kings to see the born, newborn Christ. Like what? God did all of this in preparation. And there is a, like, there's a power to in this season, right, focusing on it. Why? Because since Advent is like Lent, Lent is supposed to be a time of preparation, of training, of getting your heart into the right place. Advent is a time where we stare at the truth of the gospel, at the work that God did, at the fact that Jesus, like, stepped out of heaven, out of eternity, out of a place where he was worshipped by angels, to a place where he would be spit on and nailed to a cross for you. Staring at that every day for a month is the least I can do. Keeping my heart focused on it so when the song reaches the crescendo, I feel it in my bones. It's the beginning point. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor who um, spoke openly against Hitler during World War II. It's a really dangerous thing to do. Got it? Like super dangerous. And he ended up in a prison camp. And it was eventually hanged for, uh, and actually specifically, I think it was for his involvement in a plot to assassinate Hitler. Um, but, I mean, he was on his way because he preached against the Nazis very openly. And um, I, I'm reading some stuff that he wrote about Christmas as it was excerpted from the, his letters. And one of the letters that he wrote while he was in the Tegel prison. So, like, this is not long before they hung him. Everybody got it? Like, he is, he is in a concentration camp. Like, that's it. Um, he wrote, today is, or this is, uh, yeah, today is Remembrance Sunday. Will you have a memorial service for B. Reimer, who's a guy they knew that died? It would be nice, but difficult. Then comes Advent, 
with all the happy memories for us. It was you who really opened up, he's writing to his wife, uh, or his uh, fiance, or uh, no, to a friend, sorry, at this point. Um, it was you who really opened up to me the world of music making that we have carried on during the weeks of Advent. Life in a prison cell may, be, may well be compared to Advent. One waits, one hopes, and does this, that, and the other. Things that are really of no consequence. The door is shut and can only be opened from the outside. What's he saying? He's saying that this life, the imprisonment that we experience to our sin, to our flesh, to this world, it is, it's a little like prison. But the hope that comes in it is Christ. The hope that comes in it is looking forward to the day when we know that God arrived in the creation to save us. But only God can open the door. And so we find ourselves sitting in the prison cell singing, my deliverer is coming, my deliverer is standing by. And knowing that the suffering that we endure, the difficult we endure, everything, like all the stuff, the, the ordinary life things, that they're happening because God is waiting for the right time. In this season of Advent, how many of you guys like are already overrun with Christmas? Haven't bought your junk, sick of the kids asking, tired of it, I knew my wife's hand was coming up. Uh, like all of it. And like all of that noise makes it impossible sometimes to stop and just stare at Christ. To just enjoy the reality that Jesus came to save us in this season. That's what we're here for. Makes it impossible to prepare and train our hearts and our minds so we're in the right place for it. So we're going to move on to training. So God has prepared the creation. I would argue he prepares us. But we're going to talk a little bit about training. We're going to do the short form. I'm sorry. Um, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, though I will be reading that one. Um, 5.17, sorry, let me get there. All right, I already start in 16. Um, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Now, why are we going there? Because if you are a follower of Jesus, you're new. Brand spanking new, out of the box, Christmas morning, like recreated, heart of flesh, forgiven of your sins forever, the whole, the whole enchilada, right? Um, but there's a second guy in the car with you. The old self doesn't like to leave. And so we spend time killing that guy, right? Very slowly. We crucify him daily, to put it in Paul's words. We, like, put to death our old self, and we come to know Christ more thoroughly. We train because that is what we have to do in order to become this, right? Like, in order to become a man like Christ made me to be, like I was designed to be, a man after God's own heart, a person like Christ, I have to put to death old Eric. I have to focus on the things and work at the things and learn the things and worship and pray and do all of this stuff that's hard um, because it's how I put to death at old Eric. And so this is what training is for. And it is a process of individual preparation for eternity spent in God's presence, right? And to kind of put it in perspective, there'll be a day you and I and everybody around us stands before Jesus. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer is going to stand there and he's going to know Jesus better than I do. I do went to a prison camp, right? Like I can't even compete with that. Paul is going to know Jesus better than I do. Um, but there are those who've neglected. There are those who sort of know Jesus. They met him once. And they'll appreciate Jesus as much as my daughter will appreciate Handel's Messiah. I'll appreciate it like I appreciate it. And some folks will appreciate it like PJ appreciates it. Right? This season is about becoming PJ. Not PJ. Jesus. Or becoming... I just fell apart. <laughs> I was also seeing who's awake. I know it's super long. It's Larry's fault. Um, and so, as believers, we dedicate our life to preparation for eternity. And this can be difficult to understand because it's not like anything else. Paul compares it to athletics, right? My brother runs marathons, right? My brother works for one of the largest banks in the world. He oversees all of the, their portfolio, like trillions of dollars in portfolios. And he runs marathons and everything else. You guys hire like the shallow end of the gene pool people, right? But my brother runs marathons, several marathons a year. And he does training. He has to go running every day. He's got to eat certain foods. He ran a marathon where he ran from, like, he ran up a mountain near Death Valley. And he worked out in a sauna regularly to get used to the heat. Like, I don't even want to look at a sauna. I, I want to, it's like, I, I preach in the sauna regularly. But, like, it's not a, the same thing. All athletes train for races. And actually, Paul compares it to fights in 1 Corinthians 9. All of them go into training, but they do it for a crown that will not last. Now, think about all the things we train for, even during Advent. Think about all the things you're doing to get ready. We decorate. We buy gifts. We uh, clean the house because so-and-so is coming over. I don't even like them, but the house has to look nice. We this, that, and the other. All of this stuff to prepare for Christmas, and the toys will get thrown away. The decorations will get boxed back up. The annoying relatives will leave, which is a pretty good thing. If I'm the annoying relative, and you're stuck with me. So, um, but the thing that will last is Christ. And so if we are dedicating, first and foremost, to everything that is temporary, everything that's going to go in storage at the end of the month, are we doing this right? If we're putting all of our energy into everything that is not Christ, are we training for a crown for a race that doesn't matter. Like my challenge to you, and like where I'm going with this is, this is a month we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus. This is an opportunity to deepen yourself. Um, First Timothy also talks about this. It says physical exercise has some value, but spiritual exercise has value for eternity. It goes on forever. Um, students, this is another way to look at it, but uh, like it's like an elephant. You can grab the trunk, you can grab the tail, you can grab the ear. Um, it'll probably kick in there somewhere, but they, that ain't the elephant. These are pieces. And training spiritually is big, and it's lifelong, and it's multifaceted. So it's a little like exercise. It's a little like studying. Talking to Dwayne once. Dwayne, I don't know, he reads like French in the bathroom. Like I, I was visiting him, I went and used his bathroom, and he had like a book in French in the bathroom. And I was like, oh my gosh, he reads French in the bathroom to keep his French up, right? German. That's how bad. And I took German three years in high school, and I'm still not that good. But like the reason I, we, we talked about languages, the reason I'm bad at languages is because I don't train and I don't study. I got to learn it in one shot or I ain't learning it. Dwayne does it every day. <coughs> Students 
work at it. And they gain deeper and deeper and deeper knowledge. But knowing about Jesus is not knowing Jesus. It is not the fullness of it. The process of coming to know Christ, training to be close to Christ, is learning. Um, it involves prayer and like the spiritual work of serving others, praying for those we, we despise, blessing our enemies, as I heard somebody say this morning, all of this stuff. Um, the two verses actually, uh, well, and then finally, like, sometimes our situations in life train us. Now watch this. There are days where life is awful. Anybody experience that? Then I have had a whole six to eight months of awful. Right? Awful, awful. And on the other side of it, I can look back and say, God has worked me in different ways I didn't expect. And I, I think I've grown spiritually. I hope I have. I can point back to every other rotten thing I've gone through and at the time saying, God, why now? Why this? Why don't you open the door and let me out? And in reality, it was training. Like, this is how we train spiritually, is sometimes situations happen. Sometimes stressor happens. Sometimes there's distractions all around us, and we have to put all of that Christmas junk aside and say, all right, well, I'm going to focus on Jesus today. I'm going to train Jesus today. Now, this all has to be done with a degree of reverence and seriousness. Paul would call it fear and trembling. Why? Because if it's not high priority, if it's a game, if it's a hobby, if it's a T-shirt you wear, if it's whatever, social club, it will not work. It will not. I cannot show up to the gym once a week for the next year and then go fight Mike Tyson. Even 60-year-old Mike Tyson, I ain't going to win. Right? Like, not going to happen. Like, I couldn't do it. I have to train hard probably for the rest of my life, and I'd still have to wait for him to be on a walker. And even then, I'd probably lose. But, like, this is something to be done with seriousness, with fear and trembling, as though we're handling something precious. Um, Larry has let me drive pieces of equipment for him, and I'm down, like, he'll let me drive the swather regularly. I drove the combine for him a couple times, and I don't think he ever didn't ride in the cab with me. Because if you hit the wrong switch at the wrong time, it's a disaster. And I don't think I'm, like, I'm not, like, you look at it and you say, do I really want to trust this with this guy? Do I want to trust this $100,000 piece of equipment with this guy? Or do I want to handle it with fear and trembling? Because if we break this, it screws us up for the season. Um, this is our spiritual training. It has to be done at a whole other level. Uh, we'll skip that slide. And there's a quote here. Another Dietrich Bonhoeffer. This is to his fiance. Ha-ha. Um, again, in prison, from his cell, all that is Christmas originates in heaven and comes from there to us all to you and me alike, and forms a stronger bond between us than we could ever forge by ourselves. What's he talking about? He, in a prison, is saying, Christmas comes to us and it trains us. It changes us spiritually. From the bottom up, from the inside out, it makes us something different. And it makes us something different that we could never accomplish on our own. Everybody still with me? I know, way long, Larry's fault, and the children, so a couple other things. Um, as we look at the how-to here, understand these are things that we do in order to reach a different depth, in order to reach a different level. Um, first off, we, we just can't put it off to the last minute, right? Like, I, I remember being a kid, and I would go to the mall. The, that malls existed then. It was way back in the 90s. Um, like, two days beforehand, and I was frustrated I couldn't find anything, and then I was stressed out and could if you try to follow Jesus in the last minute and, like, build yourself up spiritually, it's like going to the gym three days before fighting Mike Tyson. Like, it ain't going to work out, right? Like, it is just not going to work. 
It must be done with fear and trembling. It must be done as a priority, as the first priority, in the same way as like like your health or your family or whatever. These need to be top priority. But more than anything, if we're going to approach Christ in this season, we're going to train in Advent the priority. And if you don't make it a priority, if you don't intentionally make it a priority, it won't happen. You know why? Everything else wants your attention. That's it. Um, my second point here is you can't be a dried out Christmas tree. You know what happens if you don't water a tree? Looks pretty, dead inside. It's like a whitewashed tomb waiting to catch fire and burn your house down. True. Um, we must not be whitewashed tombs. If I wear a pretty Christmas suit, but inside I'm dead spiritually, there's nothing good happening there. I don't need to look good. I need to, from the inside out, be good. And that is accomplished not by just checking the boxes or singing the right songs or what have you. It's by taking the scriptures, taking the truth, taking like what God has done, the fact that God, it's not even just words on a page. It is word in real life made flesh. The truth of that, I've got to take it into myself and I've got to make it come out of me, not just paint myself with it not just decorate myself with it. It's got to be how you live, how you love your wife, how you love your kids, how you love your neighbor, how you serve, how you do all of this stuff. Uh, Third, we must gaze on Christ and feel the same delight we feel like when we look at a lit tree. Or uh, Kenyon used to decorate his house amazing. And there are days I would go out there and just like look at it and enjoy how pretty it is. Or I would get up early in the morning, I'd sit in my living room and look at the tree that the kids put up with Jeff. Um, and I would sort of appreciate how pretty it is, right? Like, I have to back up and I have to look at Christ. And I want you to look this verse up. It's in the devotions, actually. You'll find it eventually um, if you do the devotions. First John 4 says that we love because Christ first loved us. What it's saying, watch this. Christ's love for us turns into love that comes out of us. And so throughout Christmas, as I gaze at what God has done through Christ, at the work he's done, at the death for my sins, at his like incarnation, at the whole thing, at lining up at the planets to let me know Jesus was God, like that stuff, as I gaze at that, as I gaze at the love of God in Christ, it begins to come off on me. Um, we were talking about enemies this morning and praying, uh, you know, this idea, you pray for your enemies and God blesses them makes it really hard to say, like, oh, God, why did you do that, that nice thing for him? It's like, wow, God, you, you acted. Like, you're awesome. To love your neighbor is to stare at Christ. It is to consume him. It is to go to him first thing in the morning, last thing in the evening. It is to, like, do this thing. And during Advent, it is a different season where we are training specifically to remember the coming of Christ for you. Um, finally, last thing singing carols, celebrating with God's family, um, giving the gifts of the Spirit and gifts in general, in my opinion. Like, all of these things are part of training, but they are not training in and of themselves. It is putting the gifts of the Spirit out of yourself to others. It is emanating, like, the truth of the gospel. Um, It is living a life where all you want for Christmas is Him, period. And it is a lot. It's not, I don't want a lot for Christmas. I want everything. I want Christ. I'm going to close in, actually, I'll close in prayer, but I'm also going to read one more Dietrich Bonhoeffer letter because I really enjoyed reading this book. 
Um, again, in prison. I think we're going to have an exceptionally good Christmas. The very fact that every outward circumstance precludes our making provision for it will show whether we can be content with what is truly essential. I used to be very fond of thinking up and buying presents, but now that we have nothing to give, the gift God gave us in the birth of Christ will seem more, seem all the more glorious. The emptier our hands, the better we understand what Luther meant by his dying words. We are beggars, it's true. The poorer our quarters, the more clearly we perceive that our hearts should be Christ's home on earth. This is a letter to a fiance. My, my challenge to you guys is don't fill yourself up. Don't fill your hands with cookies. Don't fill your hands with tinsel. Don't fill your hands with presents. Don't fill your hands with nonsense that's going to go away. Fill your hands with nothing and reach for Christ. All month, like, like prepare yourself to celebrate the birth of Christ. We close in prayer now. Heavenly Father, uh, I pray that you would, uh, uh, despite our, our long service, that, that folks would have heard you. That, that your spirit would find kindling in the hearts of the folks here. And, and I know there are people who have sparked. I know in my own heart as I've prepared all this, there have been sparks that I've, I've experienced and bits of excitement and, and moments where I've, I've felt like I understood the, the birth of Christ different. And I, I pray that, that those sparks, that those, those bits and pieces of, of fire, that they would find a place to burn and that the wind of the Spirit would blow on them and make them go, um, go in such a way that they can't be quenched by the world or the worries or, or distraction or anything else. pray that you would be with us and, and help us to turn this little flame on Advent week one into a roaring fire. We would gather around and sing praises to you. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a stack of devotion pages in the back. Uh, 